Um, I probably should have uh, prepared some sort of like joke because I was looking over my notes like prior to the church. I'm like, man, I'm just jumping straight into it. There's no joke. There's no knock knock. There's, I mean, and there's a bunch of cheesy things I could do, but I'm, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I'm better than that. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not better than that. I do it all the time, but today I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to talk about baptisms. Baptisms, S on the end. Baptisms are a transition. A transition out of an old life, an old way of life, into a totally new life, into a totally new way of life. We transition from death to life, from the old to the brand new. Baptisms are a total immersion, total commitment, committed decision. All of our being is involved. So there's three baptisms that we see in Scripture. One of these is no longer required, but is still very much relevant from what we can learn from it. The three baptisms are John's baptism, which is referred to as a baptism of repentance. So that's from John the Baptist. Water baptism, also called Christian baptism, which is not the same as John's baptism. They have a lot of similar features, namely water and immersion, but they're different. They're different baptisms. And then the third is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which also comes with fire. So these are three distinct baptisms, all of which play an important part in the New Testament. Today, the one I'm going to talk about is the one that I said that is not required, but is incredibly relevant, and that it points us to Jesus in knowing why it existed and what it foreshadows. So that's that's John's baptism. So let's let's take a step back for a second. So the word bap- the word baptize. It's an interesting word um, because it's it's not really an English word, but it's a Greek word written in English letters. It's um, it's like a transliteration. It, it's a made-up word from an actual word. The word that's taken from is is bapto, and and the word is uh, baptizo, and it means to immerse. To immerse. Why is that important? It's important because it's indicative of what we're supposed to do in going from the old to the new. We're to be totally immersed. Totally immersed. And and the way I see it, there's a couple ways you can be totally immersed. You can be taken underwater and being totally immersed, or you can just have just a vat of water poured out on you and you can be totally immersed that way. But I'm talking about totally consumed and that is what it's supposed to be in in the baptisms moving from one place to another every baptism speaks of transition from one place to the next so we're going to read in a second from Mark chapter 1 verses 2 through 5 it says this as it is written In Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
John appeared, so John the Baptist, appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Number one, I think it's amazing. Absolutely amazing that says all of Judea and all of Jerusalem came to him and were baptized. We're talking about a couple hundred thousand people that were being prepared for the coming of Jesus, for the introduction of Jesus. John came to prepare the way. And John's baptism was a baptism of, of repentance. The purpose of this preparation was to make room for the coming of the long-awaited Messiah, to, to make room for the coming of Jesus Christ. Why is John's baptism important? Because hearts had to be prepared for repentance. Lives had to be prepared for repentance. Lives had to be prepared and open to, to being made whole. That's the work that Jesus did. That's the work of preparation that John did in anticipation of Jesus' coming. So John's, John's baptism had three requirements. Okay? John actually, there's times he spoke quite harshly. He, he wouldn't just baptize everyone who came. It wouldn't just, hey, everyone line up. All 200,000 of you are here. You come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip you. We're good. There were requirements that John had of baptizing. And, and they make a lot of sense. Number one, repentance. Number two, confession of sins. And number three, evidence of a changed life. Repentance. Confession. Confession of sins and evidence of a changed life. So that first requirement was repentance. Therefore, those who were, were wanting and desiring to be baptized, they first were required to repent. I want to say this right now. Repentance is not an emotion. Repentance is a decision. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. Now, it can be emotional. If you're an emotional person, then repentance for you is probably going to be emotional. If you're not a, an emotional person, then repentance for you most likely is not going to be emotional. But we can't make it into some emotional thing. It's coming to the end of something that we thought was right. We thought we had it locked down. We thought we had it right. And then we're told the truth. And the truth resonates with us and we turn to it and we grab it as revelation. So much so that it brings about change in our life, including change of direction. And we face that truth, we run into it and our actions follow. That is repentance. We thought one way. We thought this was truth. We thought this was good. We thought this was right. We thought this was the way to go. Then all of a sudden we were presented with truth and we were presented with a moment of decision where that we had to change our mind, which is what repentance means. The word metanoia means to change minds. It's a decision. 
I've been, I've been presented with the truth. What am I going to do with it? I believe it. I believe it's true. Okay, then you were going this way. And the truth dictates that you make some change in your life, that action follows that state of belief. That's repentance. That's repentance. For those of you that are super emotional, I hope I didn't disappoint you and ruin your day. For those of you that, that make repentance emotional, that's awesome. I make repentance emotional. But it is, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be this big, tear-filled emotional thing. And here's why I, I'm camping on that a bit. I hate manipulation. I despise it. I despise manipulation. And, and I just don't want any part in it. I don't want to, I don't want to hype you up and get you rah-rah and so excited and manipulate your emotions so that you make an emotional decision that's just going to fade away because I prayed upon emotions or we prayed upon emotions instead of saying, no, I'm going to present you with the truth. Choose this day. I, see, I love that. I love that last part. Choose this day. Make a decision. Make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? And then the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit, the Word tells us that He's constantly renewing our minds when we're open to Him. The second requirement that John had was public confession of sins. I think this is one that the church has really dropped the ball on. And I think I'll go ahead and, and I'll include us in this. I'll include myself in this. Because I believe so firmly in confession. I believe so firmly in the power and the beauty and the freedom that comes with confession. I talk about repentance a lot, but I often talk about confession. It's extremely powerful when God's people are convinced by the Holy Spirit to confess their sins. Many of the great revivals that have taken place across the world throughout history have been sparked by confession. So I'll say this. You don't necessarily have to confess your sins in public. Okay, that was a requirement John had, but, but I, I, I'm just letting you know, you don't have to necessarily do it in public, but, but we do have to do it. We do have to confess our sins. We do have to do it in the presence of a loving and mighty and gracious God. So the the other John, not John the Baptist, but the disciple John, the the one you know who Jesus loved. That's what John called himself, the one that Jesus loved. I'm his favorite. He had this to say about about confession, and it's one of those scriptures that kind of smacks you in the face and kind of stings a little, and you're like, well, that's not right. Well, I know it says that, but that's, that can't be what it means. But it is what it means, and this is what it says. And I'm going to paraphrase it before I read it. And John the disciple said this, the only sins that God is committed to forgive are the sins that we confess. The only sins that God is committed to forgive are the sins we confess. That doesn't sound right, right? But yet here it is in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
That sentence starts with a huge little word. What's that huge little word? If. If. If we do not confess. This is, I mean, once again, guys, I, I, I chose my words wisely in preparation for this. If we do not confess, we have no guarantee of God forgiving and cleansing based on that passage. Now, we're not going to sit there and make an entire new gospel out of this. But guys, why, why would such a bold statement be made? Because God never had the intention of religion. He always had the intention of relationship. And in relationship, we come to Him one-on-one. You don't, have to, you don't have to come before a priest. You don't have to come before a pastor. You don't have to come before a parent. You don't have to come before anybody. You get to go straight to the throne of God. And the guy that's sitting on, your, on the throne is your daddy. Yes, he is the king. He is the king of kings. He is the king of the universe. But he's also your father who has time for you and is available and is present. And he wants us to be whole. He wants us to be whole. He wants heaviness lifted. The very next verse begins with another if. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And Paul's just, or uh, John's just bringing it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. You guys, I, I, I am a grace guy. I love, I love the grace of God. Okay? But this is the empowered grace of God that says, you have to still keep coming to me. It's a relationship. It's not a life insurance policy. It's not fire insurance. It's relationship. Why would God ever require such difficult, consistent action on our part when Jesus already paid the price for our sin? Anyone wondering that? Why would God insist upon such such a requirement? A continuous, ongoing requirement? It's because He's good. It's because He's loving. And because unconfessed sin is heavy. Can you guys can you guys hear that for a second? Unconfessed sin is too heavy for us to carry without being crushed. So he made a way for us to be able to give that unconfessed sin away so that we're not crushed so that and that's to come to him and confess. And say, God, I know you already know this. But I did this. And I did this. And I did this. And I know that those things don't please you. And I know that those things aren't going to give me life. And, and But I did them. Just that simple act of coming before the Lord and unloading brings us freedom and liberty. 
Many believers, they drag a big old pile of, of unconfessed sin behind them. And that big old pile of unconfessed sin, it affects every relationship we have. It affects emotions and decisions and it affects everything. So David described his sins like a heavy burden. So in Psalm 38, 3-4, he says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. I'm drowning. Have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. You guys, this might be the most liberating message I've preached in a long time. This is about freedom. This is not about bondage. This is about freedom. Can everyone say that? This is about freedom. This is about freedom. Being free. I've been there. I've been there. I've carried that heavy thing around. Unrepented of sin. Secret sin. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not give the enemy a foothold to come in. You know what foothold means? A room. Not room. Like I've got elbow room. Do not give him a room in your house to live. Do not give the enemy a foothold. And and secret sin is a foothold. Unconfessed sin is secret sin. Let me say that again. Secret sin gives the enemy a foothold. And unconfessed sin is secret sin. Who knows about your unconfessed sins? I mean, do you, do you like share that with, with you know your buddies? Do you share that with your pals, your friends? Most people don't. Hey, just want to let you know, um, stole um, a couple T-bones. They fit in my purse. Stole some T-bones today. Um, watched some pornography. Um, cussed out an old lady. Uh, we're, we're verbally abusive to my kids. So I just wanted to let you know that was my day. Most people don't do that. What do we do? And most people also don't stick T-bones in their purse and cuss out old ladies. I get that. I get that. But here's my point. It's still heavy. It's still heavy. If I have a bad moment, and I, and I do get mad, and I, man, I cuss someone out, I'm impatient, or let's say, uh, you know, the Bible says, do not provoke parents. Do not provoke your children to wrath. And let's say, I, I, that's exactly what I did. I provoked them to anger. And now, how do I feel about that? I don't feel good. I feel like a bum. I feel like I blew it. I feel like I'm this small. And you know why I feel like that? Because there's an accuser that makes sure we feel that small. That small. The Satan... Satan accuses us day and night. You're no good. What kind of mom are you? Look at you. You're supposed to be a Christian. You were in church one minute and yelling at your kid the next minute. You ain't no good. You're, you're, you're a bum. You're a fake. You're a fraud. Now we feel like this. If only, if only God could provide a way for us to unload that burden. Lord, Lord, I blew it. Lord, I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. 
I showed no mercy. I showed no grace. But we were just in church and I felt so close to you. And just like that, I turned and I was impatient with my kids. And Lord, you, Lord, that's a lie. I wasn't impatient. Lord, I was mean. Lord, I, Lord, I, I was harsh. See, feeling bad for sin means we're not a sociopath. Feeling bad for sins means you're not a sociopath. That's what that means. I did something bad and I feel bad about it. That's great. We should feel bad when we do something bad. That, that just means we're human and that, that our emotions are in a, in a healthy enough place that we feel bad for what we did. If we don't feel bad for the bad stuff we do, that's, that's the red light. That's the warning sign. But this isn't about feeling bad. This is about coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm not going to let this be secret. I just want to let you know. And then it says he lifts the burden. He takes the burden. He refreshes. His mercy is upon us. This is all the things that scripture says. I'm going to read those verses later. Confession, confession, confession. See, we as the Christian church, we don't do confession because it reminds us of what? What does it remind us of? Say, I've heard I'm saying, I'm thinking of Catholicism. It reminds us of Catholicism. It reminds us of, you know, we got to go to a box and we got to pull the shade and we got to tell, you know, some guy our sins and then he's got to give us a bunch of tasks to do and, and we've got to do those things to be religiously correct in, in God's eyes. And so we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because that's called confession. And, and so we just don't talk about it as often as we should. What I'm talking about is called confession too. And it should be a normal part of our life. In fact, it should be as normal as, as prayer. It should be normal as, as normal as repentance. You guys, I, I probably repent every day. Every day the Holy Spirit will remind me of some way that I was looking at something. He goes, that, that was your way, Mark. That wasn't my way. And I repent and I change my mind and say, thank you, Lord. Because I want your way. These things should be part of our normal Christian life. I'm going to circle back. Um, Talia, you're going to have to stick with me. I'm going to skip a few here. I, I, I'm going to circle back on confession, but I want to get to that, that third requirement first. The third requirement of John the Baptist and his baptism was evidence of a changed life. Evidence of a changed life. We change constantly. We should change constantly. We should let the Lord change us constantly. It's called growth. It's called growth. If We'll use, you know, Emma Kanyas as an example. I mean, she's four, right? So four is kind of the high end. You know, I, I wish there was a two-year-old I, that came to mind, but I'm, we're, we're going to stick with Emma. We're going to ride it out. If Emma shows up to church in uh, Yoda pajamas with feet and Yoda's all over them. It's kind of cute. <laughs> it's kind of cute. It's, she's four. We're pushing the high end. We're like, eh, you know, but still, it still be cute. If Marie does it, it's weird. Okay? If she's up here leading and she's got Yoda's on her jammies, wearing the footies, 
It's weird. Why? Because we grow. We change. We change. We change tastes. When I was a kid, my, my parents must have loved it for a while because they'd, they'd want steak and I wouldn't eat steak and all I'd want is hot dogs. Thank God I've outgrown that. I love steak now. Love steak. And I love hot dogs too. But I, I love steak. My tastes have grown. There was a time I wouldn't eat onions. There was a time I wouldn't eat avocados. Love avocados. Guacs from God. And, and onions are my friend too. We're constantly changing. Young people, you're constantly changing. It's a lie of the enemy to say you don't have to change. That's a lie straight, that's a lie straight from hell. You do have to change. I have to change. I'm 48. And I have to change. Joy is 49. And she still has to change. Doesn't matter how old we get, we, st- we have to change. We have to grow. And we've got to be flexible. How does that happen? How does that happen? Daily come into the Lord. Throughout the day come into the Lord. Sometimes confession, sometimes repentance. Sometimes we're just doting over Him. Sometimes we're just singing, All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. And we just declare, Lord, you're, you're my prize. You're my, you're my reward. You're the reason I get up. You're the one who gets me up. In Matthew 3, uh, verse 7 and 8, John the Baptist said this. This is one of those kind of biting phrases. But when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You guys, we should come to the Lord in a place of sincerity. And the religious throughout the New Testament, man, they're they're the bad guys. They're they're the ones that come hard-hearted with no humility, thinking they know it all. Because they're so learned. They're so wise. But without a heart of flesh that's pliable and teachable. You know, for me to stand up here right now and in this setting... Uh, and to confess my sins would be inappropriate, I think. But for me to, to gather a couple of the men that I'm tight with and say, hey, I just need to be honest with you, man. I just need to be vulnerable to you. And to confess to a trusted friend who's going to point me to Jesus, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Not, not glamorizing my sin at all because usually there's, there's shame attached to sin. But, but to confess so that someone can point me to Jesus, but also just to unload, just to get it off, to stop carrying that heavy thing around. In Matthew 21, Jesus said this. You know, we just talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus said this in Matthew 21. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. This is John the Baptist. He's saying, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. 
And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Friends, changing our minds is repentance. We believe, we change our mind, and we follow. So the baptism of John could only take people so far. The baptism of John did only take people so far. But then it had limitations. And this is why John's baptism is no longer required. And remember what I said. Even though they're both in water, John's baptism is not the Christian water baptism that that we know. They're different. So the first limitation of John's baptism was that it did not produce new life. It didn't produce new birth. Jesus was needed for that. The second limitation was that it was not sufficient to receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, Jesus did that. After Pentecost, the baptism of John was no longer accepted as being valid. And we see that in Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, 1-5 says this, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in what? The name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. See, Paul prepared the way for Jesus. And once, once Jesus arrived on the scene, now our baptism is into Jesus Christ. The transition we make is from death into life and it's through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus and I live through that faith that I have and that belief in Jesus Christ. By the way, when when Paul says, did you uh, receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they go, no. It shows that that you you can believe and not receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but, but this is proof of that. On hearing this, this is verse 5 again, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were limits to the baptism of John. There are no limits in the baptism of Jesus Christ. Next week, I'm going to teach on water baptism. And I can't wait because like confession, I believe water baptism is one of those things that we truly don't understand. We, we do it, but if we truly understood it, I think we'd, we'd see something different. I don't know what exactly. 
if we truly understood it and the transition that it is, we, we would, our lives would be so much more centered around talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus because we know the change that can happen through Jesus Christ. So I've got three teenagers. So teenagers, young people, listen to me for a second. Just stay locked in. I'm telling you, it is heavy, heavy, heavy to walk around with that, with that heavy secret. It's heavy, heavy, heavy. It's crushing to walk around with shame. But the bottom line is, there's, there's some things that we might feel like we just can't tell any other person. Even our closest, dearest bestie. But you can't go around just carrying it. You can't go around with that, that shame, that secret sin. Now here's what's interesting. We come to Him and we confess our sin. And what we've done is we've opened the door for the Lord to share us what He thinks about the matter. We've opened the door for repentance. See, I think we should come to the Lord in confession, even if, if we haven't necessarily like totally come to that place of repentance. But we confess our sins to the Lord. And He says, Hey, Acacia, thank you. I'm going to take that from you. I don't want you carrying that heavy thing. And hey, are you open to a better way? Are you open to making a, 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 an adjustment? Are you open to making a change? Yeah, Lord. Okay, well, let me, I've taken that heavy thing from you. Thank you for coming to me. I've taken that heavy thing. Thank you for being honest with me. Thank you for trusting me with that. I, and you know what? The devil's wrong. That's not shameful. You know, it's what it is. It's just gone. I don't even remember what it was. What it is, it's gone. But let me, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a way that's going to bring life. Because I, I just don't want you carrying that heavy thing again. Let me show you a way that's going to bring life. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And then we go, oh, yeah, that, that actually sounds better and way different than what I'm doing. What do I do now? He's like, just walk with me. Just walk with me. I'll show you how to get there. Just walk with me. It's this direction. It's this direction. Come on. You're too weak. I got you. Let me carry you. You good with that? All right, I got you. Let's go. Let me know when you feel like it's strong enough to walk, but I'll carry you until then. Water baptism. It was so important to God that he made sure at the very first ever Christian baptism, which was Jesus's water baptism, that was the very first water baptism and Christian baptism as we know it. It was so important to God that the Father was present and He spoke. The Holy Spirit was present and He descended and remained. And then Jesus uses this amazing word. He says, us. He says, us. And He wasn't referring to the Godhead. He was referring to us. He's like, us. Me and Tim. Us. Us. Me and Diane. Us. And he says, it's vital that, that we do this for us. 
And I'm going to talk about that next week. Guys, I encourage you, be here. Invite your friends. we got a lot of friends, including my wife, sinner, out there camping. She's not a sinner. She's just camping. That's, Lord, I'm sorry. That was not you. That was, that was... Let's invite our friends because this word... I'm preaching it next week instead of the week that we're doing our baptism because I'm hoping right now we have two people that are getting baptized and praise God. We're going to hand them the mic. We're going to let them talk about Jesus and and they're going to get baptized. But you know what? I'd love for that number to jump to like 17. That'd be awesome. Or six or three. And I think if we grab a hold of the power that comes... Um, in that transition in baptism I, I think that, that there'd be an urgency that I'm hoping that we'll grab a hold of next week so uh, here's my homework you guys have homework today have you ever heard me say that have you ever heard me say here's your I have homework for you I have homework for you here's your homework and it could change your life go home and confess Go outside, go for a walk and just confess. Just tell Jesus everything. I want to read a few passages just to encourage you to do so. James 5, 16, 15 and 16 says, and the, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You may be whole. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: whoever conceals or hides his transgressions or sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, so repents and walks away, them they will obtain mercy. Anybody want mercy? Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And then Psalm 32, 3, and then I'm going to skip to 5. Verse 3 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I did not hide my sin. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What part of that sounds bad? What part of that sounds bad, friends? What part of that sounds heavy? What, what part of that is not good? Your homework is to, is to go have a, an intentional time of confession. Just just tell him. He, he knows anyway, but he wants us to come to him and tell him, Lord, I did this. Lord, I did this. You don't got to solve the problem. You just got to say what you did. You don't got to offer the solution. Jesus already has that. You just got to say what you did. Lord Jesus, I did this. Lord, I did this. Okay. Lord, I did this. Okay. Lord, I did this. Okay. Lord, I did this. And every time, he'll just take the heaviness off. He'll take the transgression. He'll blot out your sin. 
can't even read that. I don't even know what that is. That's a big mess. You know what it is? I don't know what it is either. It's gone. That's what I do to your sins when you come to me and confess. Confess. 